Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, where you'll get the latest trends and legal business initiatives that help you manage your law firm every day. Hear from the experts setting the standards for legal, insurance, compliance, and tools of the profession. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Here's the host of the Legal Toolkit, Jared Correa. As our fantastic voiceover guy, Gary Tangway, says, this is another episode of the Legal Toolkit on Legal Talk Network, and I am Jared Correa. I'm a law practice advisor with Massachusetts LOMAP. LOMAP provides free and confidential consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on LOMAP services, visit our website at www.masslomap.org. On May 26, LOMAP is going to be offering a free half-day marketing conference with five hours of CLE accessible in person or via webinar. For more information or to RSVP, visit our homepage and click on the link for LOMAP's Super Marketing Conference. On the Legal Toolkit, we provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own Legal Toolkit so your practices will become more and more like best practices. On today's show, we're going to return to the roots of the show a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, one of our prevalent early topics, which is data security laws and regulations and their impact on businesses, including law firms. The reason we're talking about this is that the Massachusetts regulations for data security, which are some of the strictest in the nation, have just reached a one-year anniversary for implementation. And I'm very pleased to be joined today by our guest, Attorney C. Max Perlman from the law firm of Hirsch Roberts Weinstein LLP. Max is an experienced business litigator representing businesses and entrepreneurs in a wide range of sophisticated lawsuits, appeals, arbitrations, and mediations. Max also has significant experience in dealing with high-stakes issues of data security and loss of personal information. He is a member of HRW's data security team and is currently working with New England businesses to address the complex requirements of the new Massachusetts data security statutes and regulations, and he's here today to talk about those complex requirements and other states' laws. Max, welcome to the Legal Toolkit. Thank you, Jared. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you on. So uh, as we do always here, we'll just dive right into the questions. So discussions of data security and data protection usually start with the Massachusetts laws and regulations. So Max, why is that? Well, it, it all began about five years ago when uh, the Bay State, Massachusetts, became the proud home of a landmark data security breach, one of the biggest breaches ever. And of course, I'm talking <laughs> about the TJX company breach, in which almost 50 million credit card and debit card numbers were stolen over an 18-month period that ended in, in 2007. So this massive breach got the Mass Legislature working and spawned a, a set of data security laws and regulations. And in true Massachusetts fashion, these are the most progressive, comprehensive, strictest, and most onerous data security laws in the nation. Now, to the dismay of many of my clients, the, the laws and regs place the real burden on preventing identity theft, which is the whole crux of the data security uh, uh, field. Preventing identity theft on the business community, which caused Massachusetts businesses to scramble to try to comply with these laws. So now we're known for two things, the pilgrims and large-scale data security breaches. <laughs> The right. former being much better. <laughs> um, so give us a quick and dirty rundown, if you can, of the Massachusetts laws and regs. Right. So there's a lot of anxiety and confusion about these laws, especially when they first came out. And, and what, I, what I can say is it all boils down to four things that, a, that an institution or business needs to do. And I'll call these the fearsome foursome. Mm-hmm. So you need to do four things. You need to assess, adopt, destroy, and report. Let me break those down 
First, you need to assess. You need to assess what personal information your company has. And let me, let me define personal information. Personal information means a name and a number. Your name and either your Social Security number, bank number, credit card number, government ID number. Um, so it's that, it doesn't cover addresses, mother's maiden names, anything like that. It's, that's personal information. So you need to see in your organization what kind of personal information you have, how is it protected from disclosure, how is it vulnerable and, and, and exposed, and how does it travel? And when it travels, how is it protected? So you need to take a look at those things, figure out where your personal information is and, and how it has vulnerabilities and what you need to do to protect it. Now, the second thing you need to do, adopt. You need to adopt a written information security program. This is required by the regulations. And in that program, you need to implement and adopt physical, administrative, and technological safeguards. And there, are, there's some latitude that businesses have with regard to these safeguards. But there are also some very specific requirements that, that, the, uh, uh, that, that the regulations uh, impose on businesses with regard to these physical, administrative, and technological safeguards. Third step, third of the fearsome foursome is destroy. When you go about destroying personal information, let's say you have old personnel records that you need to get rid of, or you have um, a laptop that has personal information on it, you just have to make sure that gone is gone. And that means yep. if it's paper records, you need to have them shredded properly. Or if it's electronic records, you have to make sure that the information is wiped, not just deleted, but wiped. So the destroy, the third of the first person foursome is when, when you're, it doesn't say you have to destroy personal information, but when you go to destroy it, you have to make sure that gone means gone. And the last of our fearsome foursome is report. If you have a data security breach or if you lose personal information, uh, somebody who's unauthorized to, to access the personal information, you could tell if they've accessed it or acquired it, you have to report it. You have to report it to relevant authorities here in Massachusetts, including the Attorney General's office. And you also have to report to the affected individuals. Um, and, and so those are the four, the fearsome foursome requirements. And if you boil it down to that, it becomes a lot easier, I think, to understand and, and, and get your arms around. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, I like the, all the references you're throwing out today. Somewhere Merlin Olson is smiling. Um, now, how do uh, the other state laws compare to the Massachusetts law? Are there any out there that are as strict? Well, Massachusetts is considered to be the strictest. Uh, there are, at, at last count, 46 states that have breach notification laws. But uh, just with our clam chowder, uh, no state can rival Massachusetts with respect to the proactive <laughs> requirements. We've, we've, got, we've got all the other 49 beat in both clam chowder and in uh, the strictness of our, of our regulations. And, you know, if, if, if you know, focused on what we need to do right now, what do we need mm -hmm. to do right away in, in response to these regulations, these strict regulations? I'd say, number one, get your WISP in place. And, and, and maybe I didn't define that, but written information security program, I'm going to call a WISP. Mm -hmm. Get that in place. I've had the pleasure of speaking on numerous occasions with Scott Schaefer, who's the head of the Consumer Affairs Division at the AG's office, and he is very clear that companies who don't have WISPs are going to be penalized. And they're going to either be penalized if it comes up in the, in the context of a data security breach. But he's also taking calls from dime-dropping employees. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have a WISP, you are at risk of getting, uh, of getting an enforcement action by the AG. Another thing that I recommend to do immediately is get your technology in place. Firewalls and encryption are not extraordinarily difficult things to do. 
but they're the kind of things that are required and the kind of things that will definitely help to avoid data security breaches, especially remote ones and, and uh, the, the, the kinds that, that result in massive amounts of, of, of identity theft. Yep. And I guess a third thing I would add of things that you might want to do right away after you, after you um, finish listening to this entire podcast, of course, is <laughs> think of ways that you can create and store less personal information. I mean, I, I shudder to think how many times in my life I filled out a form and just unthinkingly put my social security number on it before the, the whole identity theft uh, issue became an epidemic. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that, that many of the of the forms that I filled out are still around someplace. Uh, and if they are, the businesses or institutions that have those forms should be getting rid of them. And proactively, they should be taking that blank for social security number off of the form because it's rarely, rarely needed. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of other ways in which businesses can, can uh, create and store less personal information, create fewer problems. Those are some good practical suggestions, though. So now that we know a little bit about the laws little bit about what you can do to uh, practically uh, comply with what the laws require. Let's move away from Massachusetts for a second and talk about some federal requirements. Uh, are there any federal requirements that businesses should be aware of in the arena of data protection? Sure. And, and we, we've got an hour for this one? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, there, there are a number. In a nutshell. And, you know, each one could fill its own podcast. But, but let me hit some high, highlights, some, some, mm-hmm. uh, some high notes here. Uh, first, there's the FTC red flags rules, which were enacted, I think, a couple of years ago and then pushed back and pushed back because uh, they were so confusing and onerous that uh, they could not practically be enforced. But in, in essence, what they, what they require is that financial, financial institutions and creditors put in place procedures to identify red flags. Now, what are red flags? In, in the words of, of, uh, of an FTC rep that I recently heard speak on a, on a web, webinar, Red flags are things that indicate that a crook is trying to is using someone else's information to get your products or services with no intention of paying. So um, businesses need to look for uh, for for perpetration of fraud by people who are not who they claim to be. And there's a lot involved in the FTC red flags rules, but that's a very very basic overview. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's HIPAA and high tech, which apply to health information and requires protective measures and reporting of breaches. There's Graham-Leach-Bliley, which requires financial institutions, among other things, to uh, develop a WISP uh, that's targeted toward uh, protecting of financial information and account information. Mm-hmm. In addition to these federal laws and regs, there are certain industries that are publishing requirements, including the credit card industry uh, has published the, B- the PCI DSS standards, which require protective measures and reporting for companies that process credit cards. The joys of living in a bureaucratic society. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit theoretically now at this point. Um, to what extent do you think these laws are codifying best practices that people should be using anyway? Sure. I, I think to a large extent. And, and I, I think we could talk about this, uh, the codifying of best practices in the context of the fearsome foursome again. And so let's, let's talk about some assess. It, it's, it's a good idea to assess, to figure out what personal information you have, uh, where it is, how it's vulnerable. That, that's just a good idea. It, it's a bad thing, I think, to be clueless about, about that inventory, about what you have. And then adopt the second of the fearsome foursome. You need to have a policy. You need to communicate to your employees who will be on the front line of data security protection what they are required to do and not to do to protect 
uh, personal information. And the adoption of the policy will also include the, the uh, implementation of technology, which should be used. It's a best practice to have a firewall. It's a best practice to encrypt uh, electronic information that's in motion. Um, destroy. I mean, here's a best practice. Folks uh, often donate used computers to third-world third countries. Um, you have to make sure that stuff is that this, all the information off those computers is wiped. It's a yeah. best practice to make sure you're not sending out uh, computers or hard drives that contain information that will be able to be used by thieves. Um, and then report. We need to report uh, data security breaches, and it's a it would be even not if not required a good practice to do so because when you report, you get the AG involved. The AG has certain abilities to investigate that you might not have as a private company. And if you're if you're reporting to the individuals, although it may seem painful to do so because you'll get a million phone calls, um, <laughs> it's going to mitigate their damages. They're going to be able to do certain things to protect themselves against identity theft that are going to reduce the damages that they may come seeking against you. So um, it, all of those things are, are I, I think, best practices. And, you know, it, so let's look at the TJX breach for a second here. Um, if the reporting obligation was in place when the TJX breach happened, it's very possible that the TJX breach would not have been anywhere near as bad. It might have been nipped in the bud, and the folks who had their uh, had their identity stolen their, and their credit compromised uh, might have been able to protect themselves in, in ways that they were not afforded by the by the, the, the lag time uh, in 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 uh, TJX's reporting. And the proof is kind of in the pudding here, too, because, you know, data security breaches have gone down. And I just looked at some recent figures that were published by the Identity Theft Resource Center. And, and here's what they say. They say, the number of records known to have been exposed in a security breach decreased from 223 million in 2009 to 16 million in 2010. I mean, that's the difference between the, the, the Yankee payroll and the, and the Devil Rays payroll. Uh, so, I mean... We're uh, we're talking about a significant reduction in data security breaches, and I think that that probably has quite a bit to do with companies implementing these regulations, which really are practices they should be implementing. Yep. Uh, so let's look at the flip side of that. Then, are there any parts of these laws and regulations that you think are really truly onerous, as far as businesses are concerned? Any business you talk to will say yes. They are. Onerous. <laughs> it, it, no, it's true. I mean. It, Businesses don't like to be distracted from things that don't add to the bottom line, and this is a perfect mm-hmm. example of that. You have to yep. get uh, more technology that doesn't that, that doesn't contribute to the bottom line. You have to get uh, lawyers involved, God forbid, lawyers, mm-hmm. and and you have to <laughs> to deflect the attention of of important people in your organization towards something that is not moving you forward. So yeah, in those senses, it's onerous, and there's going to be an investment in technology. It's there's all sorts of things that 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 are going to that businesses are not are going to see as onerous. Mm-hmm. Now, with respect to specific technology, um, yeah, third party vendors who have access to your information um, in in whichever ways they do, usually over a, an internet connection of some kind. How should businesses concern themselves uh, with making sure that these companies are accessing their data in the appropriate way and they've got all their bases covered with respect to the laws and regulations? There might be some technical answers to that question, but I'm going to give you the, the answer that I think is based on the regulation, and that is pick the right vendor and get them to commit to a contract. I mean, if you're storing personal information in the cloud, don't hire Joe's IT and acupuncture to do it. And you got to pick a company that has the gravitas and the track record 
that would indicate that they have the ability to protect your information as you would. Yeah. And even if you you pick that great company, you you pick uh, the the, uh, the the best company you possibly can uh, to do this. You, you're not done. You, under the mass regs, you have to have that company agree to implement and maintain security measures, uh, the appropriate security measures under the regulations. And I'm going to suggest that an indemnification provision won't hurt either. I mean, if you do experience a breach and it's the vendor's fault, you're going to want to go be able to go back after that vendor for the damages that you incur, which may may be significant. Mm-hmm. That That's a useful tip and always a good idea, as we recommend to people here at LOMAP, take a look at the terms of service of whatever company you deal with. Absolutely. So we're going to take a short break right now, uh, but we'll come right back with Max Perlman. We're going to talk a little bit more about data security. Uh, but before we do, a word from our sponsor, Coutinho Court Reporting. The business of law is changing. Don't let compliance and security concerns weigh you down. Catuno Court Reporting and Stantel Transcription have the solutions with their legal toolkit. Need access to your case files anywhere? Our compliance solutions keep you connected anytime and from anywhere. Find out more at catuno.cc. That's C-A-T-U-O-G-N-O dot C-C. Or call 888-228-8646. Want to stay in touch with the Legal Talk Network and get our shows automatically? RSS provides home delivery. You don't have to remember where to click. The good stuff comes right to you automatically and free. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and hit the RSS button at the top of the page. It says our podcast feeds. Now you'll be all set. All right, let's get it on here for the second half of this episode of the Legal Toolkit on the Legal Talk Network. Today, I'm joined by Max Perlman from Hirsch Roberts Weinstein LLP, who has been kind enough to uh, give his time this uh, day to talk to us about um, data security uh, in Massachusetts and generally. Uh, So, Max, let's get back after it here. So when you talk about data privacy, which I've seen you do uh, very well uh, from time to time, you talk about the importance of developing a playbook for businesses. Why is it important for companies to think in those terms? A playbook needs to be in place for dealing with the, uh, the incident of a data security breach. And hopefully no one listening to this podcast will ever have to deal with that. But the numbers say that, that quite a few of you will. So you need to have a playbook in place because this truly is crisis management. You have to have plans in place. The players need to be identified, the folks who are going to do, uh, who are going to react. And you should not be inventing things as you go along. You need to have a playbook in place. Excellent. Um, So now what happens if a business does experience a breach or a potential breach, potentially losing a significant amount of private data? Uh, What's the best response in that case? So here's our playbook. At, at, uh, at my firm, we, we developed a playbook that we that we use in every every breach. And so, to, to lead things off, I mean, you're going to discover a breach in a number of different ways. I mean, it could happen because somebody in your IT department discovers some hacking on your system, or a keylogger's been been uh, put on your system and monitoring the, the activity of your network. Or you may hear from a salesperson that the laptop was was uh, stolen out of her car. Um, in these, in these, either of these cases, you have to act quickly. So here's mm-hmm. here here are the, the 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 steps that we recommend. The eight steps, and and they have to be started right away. Number one, secure. You need to batten down the hatches. You have to make sure that whatever the breach is, it it stops. 
If it's a hacking, you have to make sure that that hacker's ability to access information on your system ends immediately. If it's a laptop and there's some access from the laptop into your system, you have to make sure that that laptop's access is shut off immediately. Um, and you're going to want to make sure that you have a trusted IT professional to do this. And if, if there's some indication that the IT professional might be part of the problem as, a, as, a, as opposed to part of the solution, you need to have somebody from the outside do it. Uh, the second step would be to preserve. I mean, in addressing the data security uh, breach, it's a legal matter, and you're going to need to have some evidence. You're going to have, need to have evidence of, of what the system looked like and what kind of uh, a breach you had. So what you're going to need to do is preserve information regarding the breach. You're going to want to preserve um, an image of the relevant electronic uh, media. You want to take an image of your server, for example, if you have... Um, you have hacking from the outside. So you'll have basically an identical copy of your server at the time that it experienced the breach. Number three, and this may seem a bit self-serving, but so what? Contact counsel. You're going to want to make sure you get a lawyer involved almost immediately because the lawyer is going to be able to kind of quarterback the remainder of the response to the breach. In addition to conducting, which is many times is needed, either anonymous or privileged communications regarding the breach. So, so there are a lot of good reasons to have counsel involved early. Mm-hmm. And then once you involve counsel, you need to investigate. You have to figure out if this is a big breach or a little breach, if this is something that is going to be a blip or a disaster. Um, you, you, wanna, uh, you might want to enlist the help of a, a private investigator. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're definitely going to want to get some forensic IT if it's an electronic breach. So investigation is going to be important. So now I've, I've given you the first four Number five is you need to prepare the required notifications. As I mentioned earlier, the AG needs to know. The individuals who are affected need to know. You'll have to have those prepared. Mm-hmm. Number six, and something that I think often gets overlooked, is you need to proactively develop a PR approach. For some reason, the media loves data security breaches. I think it's because it's easy to elicit paranoia on the general public's part if they think that their information is, is in the hands of some nefarious entity. Or, or individual. So um, the, the media loves to cover it. You, need, you cannot get caught without something to say uh, if you're approached by a, uh, by a reporter. What I usually recommend is that a, a press release get drafted that get put on the shelf and pulled out if necessary. Um, the seventh thing is you need to evaluate relevant contracts. You may have insurance. You may have rights to indemnification. And you might have obligations to indemnify. So that you need to look at the contracts that you have and the last thing that I, I would recommend in this playbook is to consider offering credit monitoring to people who have been affected. Now, it hasn't been required, and this has been litigated, and courts have said, no, we're not going to require the, the uh, company that experienced the breach to pay for the credit monitoring of the individuals affected. But I think it, it will get you a certain amount of goodwill with the authorities and with the individuals affected if you do offer credit monitoring, and it's, it's probably not anywhere near as, as bad of an expense as, as one might think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it definitely gets you some goodwill, and it might even mitigate your damages. So those are the, those are the things that, that we recommend doing in the, uh, in the immediate aftermath of a data security breach. Good practical advice there, including some, uh, some uh, take on marketing, which I don't hear a lot of people talking about in this context. Um, yeah, that could, sometimes with these data security breaches, that could be the biggest problem you face, is what, what the general public or what your industry is going to think of you after they learn of the breach. So it really is important to think 
about communicating the message about uh, how how this is something that's an aberration and something that's being that the company is working hard to to prevent the future. Well, typically excellent and expert coverage on your part, Max, and uh, that's going to do it for today's edition of the Legal Toolkit. Remember, you can check out all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. And my thanks goes to Max Perlman for coming on the show today. So, Max, if any of our listeners want to find out more about what you're doing um, or about data privacy in general, about your firm, how would they go about doing so? Well, our website is HRWLawyers.com. I often blog on data security uh, issues and the blog is at uh, blog.hrwlawyers.com or you can search Bleg blog, B-L-E-G-B-L-O-G and my email address is max at, not surprisingly, hrwlawyers.com uh, <laughs> and I'd be more than happy to entertain any questions that uh, the listeners have uh, by email. Great. Thanks, Max. Really appreciate it. Now, don't thank, forget thank to join us. Thank you very much, Jared. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, now, for the rest of you out there in, uh, in Internet Radio land, don't forget to join us next time when we'll have another great uh, episode of the Legal Toolkit. In the meantime, stay classy, and thanks for stopping by. But mostly stay classy. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to The Legal Toolkit. You can subscribe to the RSS feed and hear Jared every month right here on The Legal Talk Network. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.